Are you a real estate investor looking to elevate your income, freedom, and lifestyle? If so, optimize your daily performance by downloading our free guide, Raising the Bar, Five Steps to Elevate Your Habits at elevatepod.com. In this guide created by yours truly, you'll learn why you do what you do, how to easily institute cues in your environment to trigger desired behavior, directly applicable steps to create a fulfilling future, and much more. Get your free copy now at elevatepod.com and kickstart your new habits today. Your future self will thank you. Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I am blessed and grateful to be sitting with Alex Jarbo today. Today, you're going to learn about short-term rentals, the case for short-term rentals. You're also going to learn about new development. You're going to expand your thinking from a multidisciplinary perspective, whether you're an investor in short-term rentals, whether you want to be an investor in short-term rentals, or whether you're an investor in real estate in another capacity and are designing a beautiful life. Today's episode is awesome. And I'm telling you right now, it was a ton of fun. Elevate podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal development for high-performing real estate investors. I'm your host, Tyler Chesser, and I'm a professional real estate investor and high-performance coach. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time. Let's raise the bar today. And I want to thank you so much for being here. If it's your first time listening to Elevate Podcast, welcome. You are important to us. You're important to me. And if you've been here before, whether it's one time, whether it's 250 times, I just want to thank you so much for being here. I want to thank you so much for showing up and investing in yourself because that's what this is all about. But it's also about having some fun. So let's have some fun today. I want to encourage you to pay the fee. The fee is just to pay it forward and share this episode with one person. All you have to do is grab the link, send it in a text message, an email, a DM on social media, or just mention the podcast, mention this episode to someone else. Um, that's the fee. That's the only fee that we ask for you to listen today. Otherwise, it's 100% for free. And by the way, we cannot grow without your referrals, your introductions. And so we're just so thankful for those. We're so thankful for you. And I just appreciate you. Also want to ask you, please, to give us a rating and review and subscribe or follow Elevate Podcasts on wherever it is that you listen or watch podcasts, because um, we're going to continue to bring massive value to you. And the way that we do that is by receiving your feedback. What do you love about this podcast? And we've, we've got to show others uh, that, you know what, there's some social proof out there. And, and um, you do that by taking 10 to 15 seconds of your own time. And uh, we just appreciate that. So with all that said, I'm done with my asks for the day. Now I'm going to give to you. So here we go. I want to introduce you to Alex Jarbo, who is a short-term rental developer and manager. He was born and raised in Detroit, Michigan. He served in the Marine Corps for four and a half years where he was stationed in Washington, D.C., apart from the Marine Corps Honor Guard. He left the Marine Corps at 22 years old to pursue his career as a real estate professional. He's the founder of and CEO of Sargon Investments, and he has a goal of developing 650 cabins in the next three years. Alex holds an MBA with a concentration in real estate development and is currently finishing a doctorate in, in business with a concentration in leadership. He's the host of the YouTube channel, Alex Builds, where he teaches the ins and outs of short-term development and management. And I can tell you right now, we're going to learn the ins and outs of short-term development and management today. 
in a super awesome conversation, a very in-depth conversation, tactical, uh, strategic discussion that brings us from not only mindset, mind expansion, personal development from, you know, thinking, but also to execution and marrying those things together, I think is super valuable. So please enjoy this awesome conversation with Alex Jarbo. Alex Jarbo, welcome to Elevate, my friend. How are you? Good, man. How are you? Thanks for I'm amazing. And uh, I'm excited to be here with you. I'm excited to, to get to know you better, to share that with Elevate Nation. Before we dive into this conversation, my friend, tell me a little bit about uh, yourself. And, and th the way that I'd like you to do this is play a little bit of ball with me. If you were to describe yourself in the way that the people that know you best would describe you, how would they do that? Um, I'm, a, I'm very focused, um, almost like to my detriment sometimes. It's like if 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 there's a specific thing that needs to get done, if there's a, a topic I'm very interested in, it's, it's pretty normal for me to spend 10, 12 hours on it, pr pretty just zoned in on, on, on the process of sometimes that gets in the way of things. Uh, but that, I mean, it, it's also helped me out a lot. Um, just developing the habit of just staying focused. So yeah. where did that come from? Honestly, man, and we, we might talk about it a little later, but uh, it, it honestly started by reading Jay Papazan's The One Thing um, and just just understanding how to to block your time and um, understand how to just put a put a just simple stuff like putting your schedule together. Um, like in that book, it talks about like three three hours is a, a good time block, but you, you can go way beyond that. And if you're working on stuff you enjoy, um, it's, it's pretty easy to for time just to fly by. So. Yeah, well, big shout out to Jay Papazan, uh, former Elevate guest himself and uh, an amazing guy. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting. I've stayed connected with him, you know, since we had that conversation and he is who he is, um, not only in public and what he does for for his writing. Obviously, the one thing being a very impactful book for so many different people. But it's interesting that you bring that up. I mean, was it almost just the awareness that, hey, you know, honing in and getting focused on one thing is a separator. It's a way for you to create excellence. It's a way for you to make impact not only in terms of your goals but for other people or give me a sense of why that was so impactful for you yeah it's exactly what you just said about it being a separator it's 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 a whole bunch of little things that are done consistently that that lead to the these big results um and that that's something that i realized also i realized if i if i try to attack my my big thing my, my one thing or my big thing or one to three things um in the beginning of the day it feels like everything else becomes easier throughout the whole day where you're not worrying about it um, or it's something it's like sitting in the back of your mind. And it's usually the stuff that makes you the most uncomfortable is what you're pushing off to the side. And that's probably what I realized is that's sort of what the one thing you have to focus on. Um, yeah. And ever since I started doing that to answer your question, it's just it felt like a lot of the the rest of the stress, like stress throughout the whole day was like, significantly reduced by just working on the thing that I felt like was the most important for that day. And it yeah. changes every day too. Sometimes, sometimes it's not the same thing. So I really like that thinking too, especially in this world that we live in, we have so many different things that are calling for our attention or perhaps designed to take our attention away. Absolutely. And you know, it's, it's, it can be challenging to um, keep your focus, keep your attention. But when you bring it down to it, it's like, well, at any moment in time, there's one thing that I'm doing. Like right now, it's like I'm having this conversation with you. I could be thinking about these deals that I have going on. I could be thinking about the emails that are unread right now. I could be thinking about the projects that are in various stages of completion. Or I could be thinking about my family. I could be thinking about my fitness, my nutrition, all these different things. But I, I need to focus and be here with you. 
And that is a difference maker. I just, I think of that, you know, like almost putting the, um, what is he? It's like the, the thing on the door, do not disturb. I'm working on my one thing. And right. you know, that, that is a difference maker. For sure. And it's, it's also like kicking your kicking, like, especially with like app, like Apple products or any type of things. It's like your, your messaging, your FaceTime is all connected to the same thing. Right. And it's like, it's like, get your phone, disconnect all that stuff during your time block, get your phone out of your room because you're going to look at it. Um, there's a really cool app I use called for it's called forest. Yeah. Forest where it's like, um, I had found out about it through a podcast I was listening to and it's, it's, you set a time limit on it. So it's like, say three hours or, and if it grows like a little tree and it's like the smallest little thing, but it's like, it grows a little tree. If you touch your phone, the tree dies. So like, if you open your phone (laughs) and it's like, you have like this, like, uh, this focus forest is what they call it. But that little thing, man, even if I like decide to like go up, pick up and like, look at my phone for like, for some reason, it's like, I don't want that tree to die. Like I'm, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to put interesting. my phone down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I love it. Yeah. The uh, do not disturb button on my phone is, as the most important button. Um, yeah. And while we and, have all these great things, I mean, I remember talking to Nir Ayal and, you know, he wrote a book called Indistractable, um, you know, a very important read and a very important distinction in this world to recognize and utilize technology and all these tools and the abundance of communication, the abundance of information that we have and not let it use you, um, but see it in, you know, in the way of, of gratitude and not just, Hey, turning that off and not utilizing that because I can't imagine, you know, living in this world, like without, you know, being able to do what we're doing Right. right now, like we're talking to thousands of people at one time together. That is an amazing ability, but at the same time, we have to focus and we've got to utilize tools like that to, uh, to hone in our focus. So I just think it's an important distinction. And I love that. I love to hear that that was really a turning point for you and to recognize that and implement that into your life. But man, tell me a little bit about your upbringing, your backstory. Um, I think it's exciting in terms of where you took it based on what I know. Uh, but give me a sense of what life was like growing up and connect the dots a little bit for us. Yeah, so uh, I'm originally born and raised uh, in Detroit, Michigan, um, and then my family had moved, I think I was like 10 years old, about 10, 20 miles north of Detroit uh, in a suburb of Detroit. Um, when I was about 17, I decided to join the Marine Corps, um, was in the Marine Corps for about like four and a half years. Uh, and uh, it, I felt like I got to a point in the Marine Corps where I couldn't sort of like grow as a person as where I needed to be or I felt like I needed to be um and also I wanted to get married I was an infantryman by trade and I saw a lot of my a lot of my friends sort of go through marriage troubles um it's just a a very very high stress job um and I I sort of didn't I didn't want to be one of those guys or go through that um so uh during my last year of the military I decided to uh learn about real estate uh during any free time I had um and I came across short-term rental investing um for through someone on YouTube this was about like seven years ago at this point. And um, I reached out to him um, and I found out that like a lot of his properties were like in the Gatlinburg Pigeon Forge area, which like I feel like everyone gravitates towards now uh, when it comes to short-term rentals. But uh, he had recommended a couple other markets um, after we did a couple calls together. And uh, I so we sort of landed, I, I landed with, with my fiance's help, sort of landed on Asheville, um, which is where I'm at now. Um, and so like the, the day I got out of the Marine Corps, like packed up everything, uh, and moved directly to, to Asheville the same day that I got out. Um, and I had about like eight months of money saved up, like for expenses and stuff to sort of just work on stuff that I wanted to work on. Um, 
And I, I got my, I decided to get my real estate license right in North Carolina, right when I moved here um, and sort of just started helping clients purchasing, selling houses. Um, I didn't really enjoy being an agent too much. Um, so I aggressively started to like look for property that I could purchase like with my VA loan where um, I was looking for like a duplex or something similar with like even like a detached like mother-in-law suite where I could um, I could live in one unit and rent out the other unit and um, the VA loan or FHA loan allows you to do that. Um, and but I, what I realized really quickly was that like a lot of the list this is even five years ago, like a lot of the listed properties, um, that would do well on Airbnb were either priced way out of my price range, or there was just like a crazy bidding war on them. And, um, at the, so, so I, I decided to build like my, my first, my first property, my first investment property was, was a new construction build. Um, it wasn't spec. It was, it was like custom built, uh, permanent foundation stick, stick built ground up everything. And, uh, yeah, it was just, uh, it, that again, that was my first property. Um, I couldn't use a VA loan for it at the time. Uh, so uh, I, I found a lender, they don't do it anymore, but they, they offered like a 10% down loan. And um, I didn't have like the down payment for it, which was about like 15 grand. And uh, so I decided to list my apartment on Airbnb and I had slept, my, I slept in my car, like in a Walmart parking lot uh, for wow. about like, yeah, for about like three months. Um, and until I had saved the money up, uh, for, for the down payment. And, uh, so I was going to be married in like less than a year. My wife was going to move down here to Asheville. Um, and I didn't really have anything to show for it at the time. So like, I was really determined, uh, to, to get into short-term rentals. Um, and, uh, so we, we built, we built our first one about three years ago. Um, and it's been bringing in an incredible cash flow. Um, after I saw how good the cash flow was doing on that first uh, property, uh, we got some investor money together and we just broke ground on 10 separate cabins, which is three separate projects right now. But uh, another thing I realized was like the best use of my time, and this is what I'm working on now, the best use of my time would be to sort of develop larger, larger projects. Um, like uh, I realized like working on six projects, getting the permit together, working with the engineers, working with the GC was about the same. Like I could use that time to sort of work on some of these larger projects that we're doing on. So I went out, um, I wasn't really comfortable in my abilities to do say like a 30 to 50 unit development at once without some guidance. Um, there isn't really too much stuff out there on top of like, uh, like subdivision development outside of like real estate textbooks and stuff. Um, so I got a one-on-one -on -one mentor, uh, and he specifically dealt in development his whole life, uh, his, his professional life. And then, uh, he, he helped me realize like how small my goals were, were like, I came to him. I was like, Hey, I want to be like at, in the next three to five years, I want to be to at 30 cabins. And he's like, why can't we get to 30 cabins in the next like six months, or at least like have 30 cabins, like in the pipeline in the next 30 months of uh, six months. And, uh, yeah. Uh, so like right now we're, we're developing, uh, we're working on a 40 to 50 unit resort, uh, like a boutique resort, uh, in addition to the other, pro the other projects that we're planning. Um, we're also planning on getting into like three new markets. Um, and after, as, after raising money for those first couple of deals, I just talked about, um, I realized like a lot of investors are eager to get into short-term rental, into the short-term rental space, um, but are sort of going through like the same issues that I, I, I went through. 
Um, and uh, right now, just the competition is so high that like these properties uh, I'm seeing are just, and I've, I've tried purchasing some of them still, but they're just getting bidded up to a point where they're, they're barely profitable. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, but by, by taking on investors, we're now like able to develop, w- w- what we do is we take on the investors, we, um, we develop the projects and then we, we don't flip them. We, we, it's a long-term hold. We, we manage the properties and that's sort of part of our value proposition to, to our investors is, um, uh, we, we obviously offer a way lower develop, uh, management fee than if, if they were to go and manage, uh, find a manager that's going to charge them anywhere between 20 to 30%. Um, but yeah, it's like, we're, we're all, we're able to offer them above than average returns right now. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been really fun. So seeing like everything transform in the last six months or so, um, like I said, just the, the, the appetites there for short-term rentals, it's just, it's, it's just in the last three years, it's just gotten very difficult to find these like good cash flowing properties. So. Yeah, I think you're you're preaching to the choir to myself and many of the listeners who are saying, you know, it's uh, it, thinking about the economic circumstances of, of course, the past 18, 24 months. I mean, you think about the level of liquidity, uh, the level of dollars that are chasing yield, especially in relation to the historic inflation that we're seeing. I mean, you know, you can't just sit on cash at the same time. Uh, you know, there's a lot of bad deals that are being done. So it requires a lot of diligence and persistence uh, to find those deals. And, and I do want to talk about that. I want to talk about the thinking behind short-term rentals and obviously your strategy. I mean, you just mentioned a lot of it there, uh, but I want to dive into a lot of the different aspects and 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 give the uh, the listener an opportunity to dive into that and, and consider that maybe for expansion themselves or just for uh, multidisciplinary learning. I think there's a lot to be said about studying different realms or different Absolutely. investment techniques and applying that to yourself. Um, before we do that, actually, I'm just curious. I mean, you mentioned leaving uh, Marine Corps and um, the thought process and correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like the thought process was, hey, if I can expand into real estate or if I can evolve into being a real estate investor, I can protect the future of my marriage. Am I understanding that correctly? And I don't, I, don't I, I say that with a grain of salt just because I don't want like other, other service members to get assaulted and like take that the wrong way. But I just, I, I, I wanted to spend more time with my, with, with my future, with, with my family and even, even like my, my parents and stuff um, where I wanted a little bit more flexibility with, with my time where, like if, if a family emergency happened, like most all my family's in Michigan. So uh, if, if a family emergency happened or even if we just want to take a trip, uh, if we want to go take a trip and see my parents this weekend, we can we can go do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if, if we want to if we want to take a vacation, go, go to go go to the West Coast when it's cold here, like we, we can go do that. So mm-hmm. that, that that's mainly why I wanted to do it. It was just to to um, to have the flexibility of uh, where I can just pick up and go wherever, wherever we wanted to. So yeah. Lifestyle design, man. I get that. I mean, I I would imagine that probably a very high percentage of real estate investors are in that boat to a certain degree. It's about designing a life. Do you agree? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And what I saw too, man, was when I started talking about this stuff about like, I mean, there are a lot of veterans and guys who are about to be veterans who are coming out of the military that do get into real estate. Like a, a lot of guys that I talk to at different real estate conferences, like they have a military background and I don't know, I don't know what the military, why the military sort of fosters that type of thinking. It's like, I want to go out and do my own thing, but um, there's, there's definitely there people are veterans are definitely like, I I meet a lot of veterans that are eager to get into real estate. So it's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's cool to talk about this type of stuff. Sometimes I do too. too. And um, well, you know, first of all, thank you for your service to our country. 
And yeah. thank you for bringing that thinking to uh, to this world as well and, and sharing that because, you know, there's there's certainly a clue there, right? We may not know what that clue is, is why so many service members have moved into real estate investing, but maybe there's a clue in terms of that training or that thought process that we can apply. Those who may have not served can apply to, you know, optimize or, or maximize our own opportunities and design our own lifestyle as a result and also partner together, which is a beautiful thing. Um, I think that uh, partnerships are one of the most exciting things that I've discovered in real estate as well. Was there anything that you would add to that? No, the, the definitely uh, it's it's and th there's two parts to it. It's it's the the investors have the capital and they're looking to deploy it, and then you're, you're bringing them a unique deal. A lot of the times that um, it's definitely a symbiotic relationship between the two. But also seeing like the 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 first investor I took on was was my friend, uh, a close friend of mine. And we're doing a couple cabins together, but uh, just based off the projections, it's really cool to be able to see what he's going to be able to do with that cash flow. And like he's he just came out of the military too, and it's 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 like he's he's almost going to be pretty close to financially free. Uh, just to just be, just off the first couple cabins, and then, and then we're going we do plan on doing more together. So it's really cool seeing that too. It's like see, seeing that people are able to to make a shift in their lives just based off of the stuff that you're providing your investors. And I'm sure that you is, see that the same way too. I do. Yeah. yeah. No, that's super cool, man. So talk to me about the thinking and the thesis behind short-term rentals. Like, why why did that asset class hold your attention as you made your transition, and why does it continue to hold your attention? Yeah. Um, so just you had mentioned earlier about like, it's, it's really important as a real estate investor, just an investor in general. But once, once you like, when people say, Hey, what do you do? And you're like, you, you can't just say I'm in real estate. It, it, it's such a broad term. Like there are so, so many niches and sub niches. Um, but it is important to learn uh, the different parts of real estate, whether it be single family houses, rehabbing, uh, flipping multifamily, RV investing, mobile home parks, up and land investing, short-term rentals, and uh, everything in between. It's it's important to to look at those different things to see like to to so like every every real estate book I read, whether it be in short-term rentals or say multifamily, I look at it through the lens of short-term rentals is what mm -hmm. I'm in now. Um, so I originally I I was I was a little too young to sort of understand what happened during 2008 and nine. So that's where I started. I started really focusing on what were the factors that contributed to like the 2008 recession, 2009 recession. And um, I, I told myself like, I, I want to be able to be in, in control of my own asset. So it's like a stock market, not necessarily too passive, but I didn't, I didn't want to be like a day trader where it's like sitting down in front of a computer and just looking at stocks all day. Um, and then at the same time, I, I wanted to find something that I could dedicate like my full time to. So through, if you're looking to just put your, your money into like the S&P 500, that's, that's pretty passive. Um, so I decided once I decided on real estate, I wanted to sort of find like recession resistant classes within real estate. Multifamily was interesting at the time, but the, the, it's not necessarily the barrier entry. It's just that the cap rates are a little compressed right now. Um, and, uh, short-term rentals I felt like was the easiest barrier or entry in terms of in terms of where I was at in my life at that time um and I just I love the uniqueness of it where we can like the our first property was an a-frame so we design it from the ground up and uh it it, it it's done so well that that sort of speaks to the strategy it's designing these unique properties that people want to stay in where you, you, we, we focus on properties that are experiences within themselves there. It's not just, 
hey, you're visiting a cool city and this is just a place to lay your head at night. It's, it's, it's a, the, the pro we, we call it like Instagrammable properties It's people who are sharing these properties with their friends and on their social media. So that, that's sort of the, the thesis behind that. Um, yeah. And the, the new development just gives us a, like, obviously like it, it takes about like eight months to a year right now to develop these properties, but it, it gives us more flexibility to be able to design them as short-term rentals, the uniqueness of it. We do underwrite them as long-term renters, rentals, and we can talk about that. Um, just sort of the strategy behind like how we underwrite the properties, but. Is that more yeah. of like a fallback plan, uh, yeah. contingency plan? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. If like the city, the city or the county decides to, Hey, you might no more short-term rentals. And you're mm -hmm. like, oh, crap, what do I do with this? So the multiple, I mean, it's just very, with any real estate project, like it's very important to think of the exit in mind in the beginning, even even if it is a long-term hold play, just really important to think about the, the exit in mind. Yeah, there's a great book that I read uh, just a couple of months ago called Anti-Fragile by Nassim Tlaib. And one of the things that he says is the most anti-fragile thing in the world, which by the way, what he means by that is things that make things stronger, like, or, or chaos or disorder or uncertainty that makes certain things stronger. And what he says is one of the most anti-fragile thing is options. So like you can think of an option contract, like if you're a developer, a lot of times you utilize an option contract, which basically says I have the option to exercise my purchase right on this property. And I, I think about that being a very anti-fragile opportunity because in the future, if you know the economy skyrockets uh, and things are booming and that location is in the path of progress in a tremendous way, exercise your option, develop that property. If it goes in the opposite direction, don't exercise your option. Yeah, you paid for it and so forth, but you have optionality. But I think about what you just described there in the same capacity as well to say, all right, well, short-term rentals works really well in this market. And, and we would you know, probably anticipate that that will continue. And obviously every, all real estate is hyper-local, but that gives you the opportunity of saying, okay, worst case scenario, we can still operate in this capacity. Right. Like worst, 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 like just like you just said, like just having like catastrophic. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah yeah. 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 And then we also, it's very important to apply that to different phases of the project too. So let's say mm -hmm. it's like you do, you put all of this money into due diligence and you, for some reason you get to a point where you can't break ground, but it's like, okay, but you do have all of this work safe. Like, the, the GC is just too busy or you can't find a GC and you personally can't find a lender, but um, many different things that can go wrong. It's like, at least you have say like a project that's already planned that it can almost be like a land entitlement play where you can sell that to another developer. So it's, it's important to have different exits even throughout the building process because development is riskier than mm -hmm. say going into and just purchasing um, a multifamily asset that doesn't need too much work. So that's a really good distinction. Yeah, I think it's uh, important throughout the entire phase of your project, whether you're a developer, investor, whether you're doing value add deals, it's like, all right, well, what what are your plan A, B, C, D, E? And, you know, you don't have to exhaust yourself by, you know, fully drafting it out, but being willing to adapt and, and move in different directions, at least having a, a general thought process of what will you do when this happens and not be caught off guard. I know, I, I don't know about you, Alex, but like when I got started, uh, I was caught off guard, man. I was on my heels in different challenging circumstances. Yeah. You know, you get into that as you kind of get more experience, but over time, you don't really want to be in that position. So you're always going to be on your toes. But talk to me a little bit about your strategy. I mean, obviously, you're talking about developing 
you know, cabins as you have described them. Um, but what type of sites do you look for? You mentioned some of the markets uh, briefly, but just give us a sense of what what your overall strategy looks like. Yeah, so right now we're we're mainly in Western North Carolina, um, but we're, we're, we feel like I'm I'm open to looking at other markets. Um, we we look at uh, just because I decided to move here, but mountain markets are a little bit cheaper to develop than say if you were trying to be on the beach. Um, they're also less seasonal, um, so uh, mountain markets. Any uh, you can't really go wrong with with developing. Uh, close like anywhere between 30 to 45 minutes of an entrance to a national forest or a national park. Um, so the, the big boy is like the Smoky Mountains. I mean, they just every park saw like uh, a record, a record in the last year of uh, like visitations and stuff. So like yeah, just especially during the pandemic, right? Right. So like we're in the Blue Ridge Mountains, but like Smoky Mountains are about 45 minutes away from us. So, I mean, they saw like 20 million visitors last year. So it's like, wow, even with how popular Gatlinburg Pigeon Forge Sevierville is right now, it, there's still an appetite for cabins to be developed there. Um so yeah, we, especially we talk, with the big fire, there was a big fire in Gatlinburg, right? right? So there's a, right. a lot of new development uh, potential there, right? Right, right. And uh, so yeah, so we're focusing on the mountains, and then like I already talked about the the uniqueness of the the the, the cabins. Well, I like to keep them pretty separate. Like we're, we're not developing condos, we're not developing um, like multi-unit developments. It's it's well, like in terms of like attached multi-unit, um, but. But like as we're developing the 50, 40 to 50 unit project right now where they're they're all detached but they're they're also close and we're sort of like in the niche that the niche 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 that we're in we're sort of in the the boutique resort development is what i look at it as um where there isn't an on-site manager it's the the property is an experience in itself there's hiking trails throughout but at the same time um, that they can also visit the different other hiking trails, the different attractions that the, the, the city sort of provides and sort of talk about, uh, go back to what you had said about why did I choose this class and what our strategy is, is the short-term rental stuff, even during a bad economy or sort of uh, during a downturn, the, the rates tend to stay the same. Um, if you look at historical averages, luxury properties sort of take a little bit of a hit, um, say like in 2008 and nine. COVID isn't really the best gauge of to, to look at what, how good short-term rentals did because everyone was trapped, like not trapped, but like they couldn't travel internationally. So obviously prices for cabins and stuff sort of went up and people were comfortable paying that, um, especially with people working from home and um, people were traveling more domestically. Um, and so the strategy, the strategy even before COVID, man, was to to, we, we felt like people were comfortable. We, uh, we, we invest in drive-in cities where people aren't really, they're used to driving 25, 30, 40 minutes for an attraction um, compared to like getting an Uber or something. And um, I think part of that comes from just, it's, we have a very small airport, like we have four gates. Um, so same thing with the Smoky Mountains, like people are used to driving. So we figured that people would be pretty comfortable driving 50 to 15 to 30 minutes away from the city to be able to have their own cabin where they can have their family in there um, compared to like a hotel room. And sort of COVID sort of re like solidified that too, was people sort of went out from the metro cities um, and sort of stayed in cabins or stayed in houses and then drove into or traveled to the city. Um, so yeah, the, the rates are pretty recession resistant. And I think it's because during a downturn, people are more, they're not going to go 
spend like they, they have less spending money so they're not going to go out and internationally and go spend money there but the, but they'll take weekend trips they'll take trips to maybe an hour or two away from where they can get away compared to spending five to ten thousand internationally so mm-hmm. that's sort of that that's sort of our strategy going forward is and like our thesis is that we're pretty comfortable with the both the design of the cabins but also that strategy of like people it, it's pretty recession resistant so talk to me about finding deals or finding parcels to develop. Um, I mean, are you driving, you know, target markets? Or are you driving them on Google Maps physically? Um, you have agents that are sourcing opportunities for you doing mailers. Give us a sense of how you're finding deals and, you know, opportunities to evaluate. Yeah. And um, it, it's it's sort of it sort of goes in and out like some I'll go like two weeks with looking at property. And then once we get finally get a property under contract, it, it sort of goes into like the due diligence where we stop looking for property. But uh, yeah, mainly um, I'm working, I'm licensed here, but I also work with an agent that, that she's a phenomenal negotiator. Um, so I, I'm more than happy to pay her commission uh, just just to, to, to have her on my team. So she'll bring me deals. I mean, I have access to her, uh, the MLS too. So uh, we're constantly looking at deals. Um, Zoning is big for the bigger projects that we're doing right now, and that's going to be different in every market, but uh, making sure that the county allows for the amount of units that we want to put on the, the, the acreage. Um, and I've, I've said this time and time again, the, the most important thing to think about is access, access to the property. So um, the property might look cool when you're looking at it on your satellite images, when you're looking at it on uh, Google Maps, but it, it Either if you don't live in the market, it, you want an agent or someone to drive out there to go look at the property. But like we we're mainly investing in anywhere between 30 to 45 minutes of where I live. So the next step is to drive out there because the the big like I said, the biggest thing to think about is the drive that you're taking up to the property is the drive that your guest is going to be taking up to the property. And I've we've we've been in Airbnbs before and I've I've heard it from friends, like they'll go like they'll drive 20, 30 minutes down like a gravel road just to get to the property. And one, that's not, that's not safe, but two, you're already, you don't want your guests annoyed like the second they stepped into your property. So like a lot of times are, yeah, like a lot of times our guests are, since we're developing in more rural areas, our guests are arriving a lot of times at night um, and they're in a new area and they, they don't, you don't want them to be driving down like a weird squiggly road for 30, 20 to 30 minutes, even if it's like a mile. Um, so th- that's the biggest thing is we look for properties that are off of a uh, double lane state maintained road. Um, and then we can we can put in our own infrastructure. So that's step one. Step two is just sending the property over to our engineers and figure out how many units we can actually put on the property. Because um, that's super important. And that's sort of we can we have a general idea of just like you said earlier about like the when you first start in development, you don't know what you don't know. So mm-hmm. and that's I feel like that's that's that that holds true in multifamily and other real estate. And, um, but now it's like, we, we, we have a general idea of what we want to pay for the property. Once we get it under contract, send it to our engineers and they're like, Hey, you wanted to put 40 on here. You can only put 20 and you're like, mm-hmm. okay, we can only put 20 that we go back to renegotiate on the, on the property. Because and then you're like, putting together your pro forma, your projections to right. say, all right, well, if we can do 20, here's what that might look like. Here's what the revenue might look like. Right. Um, right, and so right. forth. And then you back into your value in that capacity, I would imagine. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And some, sometimes Sometimes um, we look at properties that already have some sort of cash, like they were already short-term rentals, but it's like the money's in the land. So like the property might be worth like two, $300,000, but 
it's listed for 1.1 million because it has like 50 acres attached to it. So it's like a lot of times we'll you we'll 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 see if that property is even maybe it has a 60% up 60 65% occupancy rate and we're close we're we're usually closer to like 90%. So we're like okay maybe once we bring this to our investors we can show them hey like this is practically a value add this is what we do with this property and it'll be throwing off some cash flow during the development phase. So that's another strategy. Hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor, then we'll be right back to the show. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital, a national real estate investment firm founded by myself and my business partner, Brian Flaherty. CF Capital's mission is to provide property investment and asset management solutions to help investors like you maximize their returns by investing in high value multifamily communities. If you are looking for risk adjusted alternative investments in quality apartment communities, are seeking tax optimized cash flow with appreciation upside, without all the hassles of management, you might benefit from learning more about investing alongside our team. You're invited to reach out and learn more about how you can invest with us by visiting cfcapllc.com. We're also currently offering a free ebook called The Bottom Line, 10 Ways to Increase Cash Flow in an Apartment Complex. Whether you're a new or experienced investor, we're confident you'll find massive value in this resource. So go get your free copy today at cfcapllc.com. And now please enjoy the rest of the show. Hey guys, my friend Damian Lupo just informed me that check Checkbook IRAs have been made illegal by the U.S. tax court. That means if you have a checkbook IRA, your holdings are now disqualified. That means taxes and penalties of up to 50% or more. Don't panic. Damien and the EQRP company can fix this. Lucky for you, those IRAs can be converted into EQRPs. Plus, you can do this retroactive to the last year, getting tax deductions and reducing your taxable income from last year. Want to invest your 401k or IRA in real estate, Bitcoin, gold, or even your own business? You can. Whether you're a full-time investor, retired, a dentist with dozens of employees, if you're listening, you qualify. The EQRP works and is your secret weapon. And now it's retroactive. They have your solution. By the way, if you got bad advice and use an IRA for an apartment syndication, you are sitting on a UBIT time bomb. But don't worry, there's a solution, the EQRP. The EQRP company is ready to help you get control of your money, kill UBIT, and help you pay way less taxes. Want to learn more about this strategy? Simply text the word ELEVATE to 307-213-3475 for Damien's brand new 2022 EQRP special report. Paying tax or letting Wall Street suck you dry is dumb. Your first step is freeing your retirement money by sending a text to 307-213-3475 with the word elevate. Give me a look behind the curtain on return metrics. Um, I, I do want to go back and talk about some of the, you know, the development process and so forth and some of the ways that you're assembling the team, assembling the resources necessary. But as we're on this topic, let's talk about return metrics. I mean, when you look at a deal, whether it's five acres, 10 acres, 50 acres, um, and you're running a pro forma, what makes a deal worth pursuing for you from a return standpoint? Yeah, it's, 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 it's different. It's different with each investor and what they're, what they're comfortable with, with the risk, um, especially with like how materials costs and labor costs are right now. Um, but, uh, I mean, to give an example, again, this was, this property was built before COVID and everything. Uh, but, uh, we like I think our cap rate just this was a property that I own 100% um, but just on our first property like and when I say this I've said this in other other interviews and people sort of come back and go no like he's being screwed or those numbers aren't right but like our cap rate on our first property was like 26% <laughs> like, are you talking about at stable stabilization after your development after you yeah, about a year yeah. about a year and a half of renting yeah so yeah um, we built 
we built it for about 202,000. And again, this is a small project compared to what we're working with now, but um, we built it for 202. And then just last year did like 80,000 in gross and about 50,000 in net. And it's like, that's, that's say like Ryan, I that same property will probably cost anywhere between 230 to 250 to build fully furnished. Um, but the, these properties, like these these properties that we're developing, throw throw out anywhere between thirty to fifty thousand in cash flow um, per per property. So. so let's stay on that example. I think it's a great example. When you think about that deal, is your strategy all right? Let's develop the deal. Let's stabilize the deal. Let's cash flow the deal. Are you holding thereafter? And also, I want to know how you're financing. You mentioned your investor. Are you going with you know? Are you syndicating these deals, or what does that look like as well? That first project was just. A project that I just took on with a normal conventional loan. Um, for people who are actually looking to get into some of these projects, both development and not development, I mean, the easiest way to get into it if you're not in your own market, so you live like, I think, I forgot what the exact number is, but it's like 60 to 80 miles away from your market, the market that you want to invest in, you can simply get a second home loan anywhere between 80 to 90% um, LTV. And, um, but yeah, it's uh, the, the way, the bigger the bigger projects like we just got approved to do six cabins right next to each other with the county um we just we just approach a local bank with that usually usually if you're you're in a a, a market that has vacation rentals more and more banks are starting to land on on these projects because they saw what happened with covid and the, the, you can sort of look at historical averages and see that hey like i mean it they are they used to be looked at as a more of like riskier riskier real estate class but I mean, the, the numbers are there. Airbnb and VRBO continue to become more popular than, than hotels. Like, And I, I just read an article the other day where in, in this county, like hotels saw a revenue drop of 20% and then short-term rentals in the same exact market in that same exact time frame saw like a revenue increase of like 25%. So that, that's sort of the, the trend that I see, at least in my market. Yeah, that's super interesting. So are you, are you holding these deals long-term? Or yeah, are you doing tenure. any refinances after stabilization or anything like that? Or what does that look like? We, we yeah. So for, for the projects that we take on the investors with, it's a 10 year hold, but um, depending on what the market looks like, uh, we, we do like to refinance and give our investor capital back. Um, yeah, that that's just lo- like what the, what the market looks like and stuff. So, so for folks that are investing with you, are they investing passively? Yeah, very, very passively. So right now we're working on our class A, class B shares because uh, um, I, w- I was originally only doing joint venture deals, but for this bigger project, we do want to do a syndication, um, just makes it a little bit more cleaner for both the investors and us. Um, but yeah, it's a class A beer, class A share, class B share. We haven't figured out exactly how much uh, we're going to be offering in both of those, just because uh, we're waiting for our engineers to get back to us to tell us exactly how many, how many units we can put on the pro- property that we're getting under contract. I love it, man. Talk to yeah, me yeah. about your development process. I mean, when you're looking at a deal, give us a walk from A to Z of, you know, taking the deal, obviously negotiating the deal and, and putting it under contract. But from there to bringing the deal out of the ground, what does that look like from your team's perspective? Yeah. So the biggest thing is you say you're, you're doing a big deal like this. Um, I mean, we already have some relationships with with some of the the, the people that we work with. But um I would say the three biggest ones is going to be your general contractor, your cleaning company, and then your, um, your bank. So um, what I realized recently too, man, is like uh, if, if you're working within your market or if you're going to a market that uh, you're looking to invest, just go and walk into the bank. Don't like a lot of times, like we're, we're like 
people are getting this going back to the beginning of the interview, like uh, people are getting bombarded with emails and text mm-hmm. messages and phone calls and everyone's inbox is full and blah, blah, blah. Just walk in the bank. Just walk in the bank and be like, I want to speak to the per- do your research on the bank. Make sure they actually offer the commercial loans that your commercial construction loans or commercial loans that you're looking to get. But walk in the bank, ask to talk to someone. And more than likely, they're, they're probably going to take you that second um, is what I saw. Is I got, got to a point where I was getting frustrated with calling these banks, not, not getting answers. And they're just busy. They're not, not, nothing against them. It's just people are busy. Um, so we walked in with local banks, talked to a couple of them, um, and we decided on one. So that's going to be the first step. By the Second way, step. can I make a comment yeah. here on this? Yeah, Do, yeah. Banks make money by lending money. The product is <laughs> I mean, money. You know, they want to, they want to approve you. They want to give you money period. Right. So, you know, remove the um, unwillingness to have this discussion or to be worried about it. You're actually doing them a favor. So money, great money is their product. Yeah. Money is exactly. their product. It's, it's that simple. Yeah. So, uh, so that's the first step. Second step before you decide to go into a market is make sure that the infrastructure, not the infrastructure, the 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 type of people that you're going to be hiring. I don't I don't run the cleaning side of the company. That I I push that out to a company that specializes in that, and I recommend people uh, do that unless if you get to a certain point where you do want to take some revenue based off the cleaning fee. But um, making sure that the the there are cleaners or at least cleaning companies in that area. Again, depending on how big you want to do go, if you're only looking to do like one or two projects, it's fine to get maybe someone that, that, um, that like one or two people to take care of the project. I think it's um, but, really interesting um, that this is a part of the early part of the development process for short-term rentals. I think that's very unique um, because you're already thinking about, all right, this is a huge part of the management. If we don't have this, this may not be a deal for us. Yeah. And th- this is coming from someone who is, part of the value to our investors is managing the property itself. And that's how we sure. can get some of these higher returns. Um, but it's the same thing. I'll, like if you just replace the cleaning company with the manager, like you got to make sure that you, there's good short-term rental managers because there's a difference between short-term rental management and long-term, like a person who's signing a six, six month to a year lease. So um, if you just replace that with the, the cleaning company, with a management company, if you don't, if you don't want to manage the properties, you want to make sure that, you are there are good managers i would say two to three that you can interview um that's the same thing if like uh ken mcleroy's book on multifamily investing talks about making sure that there are good uh multifamily managers in the area before like in an area that you're looking to invest in going out there and interviewing them it's the same idea um but uh, going back to the cleaning company making sure if you want to do some you're going to see how good the cash flows are and you're going to be okay i want to do some of these bigger ones if you're managing them yourself you just want to make sure that you you are selecting a cleaning crew that you can grow with um that's very important um and then the last step is gcs are sort of slammed right now um and it's like there's a wait list with general contractors and builders and stuff so uh if you're looking to do these smaller projects making sure that you're you're probably not going to find your gc on google um because if if they if they took the time to put together a nice looking website and they have forms where you can sort of find them and blah 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 now if you're doing doing a bigger project that might be a luxury project um you can you can probably convince them to work on you but they they might not take on like your 900 square foot cabin or your 1300 square foot cabin or they might be booked out so what um one of my investors who actually did this um for one of their projects um where they live is they they looked at all of 
who who they they went to the the county's website the city's website and they saw who's per, pulling all of the building permits and they sort of just went down the list because the builder has to put their phone number and their contact info there is they sort of just went down the list and started contacting some of these smaller builders um so if you're going into a new market that's what i recommend doing we have a we have a really good relationship with with the builder that we have now um, and I'm, I'm always on the lookout, like you're, you should be always on the lookout for, for either upgrading your team and say if my GC gets to a point where I, he's busy enough with my projects, but I still want to work on other projects. Um, just having a backup GC uh, to, to sort of, to, to be able to take some of that overflow, um, depending on how flexible you are. Yeah, no, that's really good. And then, you know, obviously beyond, you know, the evaluation of the team and, uh, you know, the evaluation of the viability of the project from a management perspective moving forward, it's obviously does the zoning work for the site? Uh, what about my design? Let's pull together together the design. Uh, it's also obtaining permits, the necessary permits. It's it's understanding utilities, easements, anything that that's involved there, gaining that approval and then putting a shovel in the ground, right? Right. Yeah. So you just mentioned utilities. That's big right now is obviously electricity. And we've dealt with that before is properties that are landlocked. And um, when you're in the more rural area, some of the neighbors might not want to give you, say, like an electricity easement, a driveway easement. Um, an easement is just a, a right of way, like to be able to go through their land to to uh, to be able to access the land that you're looking to purchase or develop. And right now, some companies are not going back to remote. I mean, some companies are not going back to in-person. They're going to be remote permanently. So a lot of people are traveling more, which is which is great, um, taking these small weekend trips. Um, and I would say maybe 30 to 50% of my people who are staying there uh, during the weekday, uh, my guests are working from home. So making sure that you are, have access to be able to, like the property has access to reliable internet. So there's sort of a gray area there where you don't want to go too far away from the city where the land is cheaper, but you won't be able to get access to like really high speed internet um, or wired internet. So yeah, until Elon Musk gives us, uh, you know, Starlink. global internet with the, uh, what is it? Starlink? Is that what yeah, it is? Starlink. I'm on the right <laughs> list. Yeah. <laughs> I love it, man. You never yeah. know. I mean, that could be coming soon uh, in all seriousness, but um no, that's awesome. You were talking about nuances for short-term rental management, and um, I'd love to dive into that. Just give me a sense of what you look for um, in in a management company that's going to, obviously you guys do in-house management yourself. Maybe yeah. you could even talk about that, but what sets you apart from others and what's going to set investors up for success in this capacity? Yeah, technology is going to be the biggest thing, man, is the, because short-term rentals have been around forever. So I, th I think that's that's very important to realize is before Airbnb, which was 2008, and then before VRBO, which whenever that was, short-term rentals have always been a thing. It's just people picking up a phone and blah blah. blah. Some some management companies still work like that, where they don't they don't, and it's a double-edged sword where it's like you don't you don't want to pay the 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 fee to be able to be on these websites, and you want to you we want people to go through your own website, but at the same time that that's a double-edged sword because it. There are so many people on Airbnb, VRBO, Booking.com now. Um, so we look at if if we're not managing the property, say if I'm purchasing a property in California, which I just don't want to put a team together to, to be able to manage it myself, I would push it to another manager. Um, we we look at their technology. Is is what, what how do they handle their messaging? Well, eighty percent of our messaging is automated. The check-in messages, the the checkout messages, the review request messages, the the pre-approval messages, 80% of that is, is, is automated. Um, and then also just what their track record is. I mean, it's, 
if, if they're if the property is only getting like a 50 percent occupancy like you probably don't want to hire that or they're at just look at their comparables like it's that simple it's just it's what I, it's what we keep talking about the principles are the same they're just called a little bit differently um like uh when it comes to hiring a manager or just anything in real estate it's 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 and communication is another thing. Like if they're terrible at communicating with you, they're probably not going to be good communicating with the guests. It's true. Um, making sure that they have some sort of emergency, both maintenance and emergency. Like, Hey, what happens if my guest gets lost because Google maps decided to throw them in a different direction? Uh, can, can, is there, is there emergency services in terms of if my guest calls or if someone who's booking my property calls, is someone going to pick up the phone or going to going to respond to them really soon? Because, yeah, that that is different. Is you're you're not dealing with a long term renter that once they look at the property or once they start renting the property, they're they're it's their house. They they can drive there whenever they want. They know how to get there. This is a this is a person more than likely has never been to your property. They don't know where it's at. Um, and if they get lost, um, you got to make sure that that manager has something in place to be able to handle that. So that's the that's the small things. And just what type of amenities would they recommend? offering to the guests so they offer free snacks free popcorn we like to lay out like a free free bottle of wine to our guests um, and that makes a world of a difference um, and that that's sort of get into the management side but yeah just what, what type of amenities they offer and then just their track record um, mm-hmm. is, is, is just going to be huge that's super helpful um, and i like the automation thought process around the communication but also just the heightened importance of communication in this capacity because you know it's 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 a total change from hey i have a long-term resident or a long-term tenant to i have a short term and they have high level of needs for that period of time and then they're gone and then we have a new high level of needs but i'm sure you're identifying those patterns obviously as you mentioned 80 percent uh, are ongoing i'm actually curious um you know you thinking about management obviously looking at track record one of the pieces of track record you mentioned there was occupancy what's the what's the rule of thumb in terms of how you're evaluating deals um for short-term rentals like what type of occupancy do you expect and then what are you seeing across the market right now right so if you i mean it's it's pretty it's pretty normal to talk to short-term rental investors and people in the short-term rental market and be like yo i was pretty close to 100 percent occupancy during covid um there are different ways so like in when you're looking at say like a a single family house, long-term rental, you have like the 1% rule, the 50% rule. So I'd say like the 1% rule, the 50% rule for short-term rentals, which is, this is before you do your actual in-depth analysis, is you want to look at what the property would book for on the weekends. And you can do that either by looking at Airbnb, sort of maybe going like three or four months out into the future and sort of looking at properties that are similar to yours. There's a it's a really good platform called airdna.co, um, which I've mentioned a couple of times that uh, sort of, it, it pulls every property from VRBO and Airbnb and it shows what their top line number is um, and then what their average daily rate is, what their occupancy rate for is. So you can sort of look at properties that are similar to yours. Um, distance away from properties is not really a big deal. It's more like distance to the city. So if you have like two properties that are completely on the other side of each other, that's not as a big of a deal as if if there if it was like two single family houses for long-term rentals that were on the other side, I hope that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but so we look at the 1%, 50% rule for on the short-term rental side is sort of, you want to look at your Friday and your Saturday. So like your, your weekend day, Sunday doesn't really count as a weekend day, it's, even though now it's starting to become because people are working from home more. Um, but it used to be Friday and Saturday, you take those two days and then there's eight of those days in the month that those eight days should be able to cover 
all of your expenses and your debt service for the for the uh, for the the month. Now, with how competitive things have gotten gotten now, it that that you might want to add Sunday back in there. Like, is that Friday, because of the Saturday price Sunday. of properties are going up? Is that what you're saying? Okay, yeah, got yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's that. Another way is just underwrite it as a long term rental and see if you're comfortable with if the property wasn't a short term rental. Mm-hmm. Um, would it be able to command what your more, what your expenses are and still cash flow maybe a couple hundred dollars again? That's worst case. Um, and then on top of that, we just we we just look at uh, occupancy rates. I've been managing them for about five years now, and I haven't seen occupancy drop. Even the mountain markets are not they're they're seasonal, but what I've seen is uh, during the winter when things get colder, the the property becomes the attraction where people want to get in a cabin in the woods and sort of disconnect a little bit, but at the same time still have access to like Netflix and the internet. Um, but during the winter, it becomes the attraction. And then during the summer, it's still, it still draws people, but it's like, you're also, they're, they're visiting the city here. We're known for our breweries, our hiking trails, the Biltmore Biltmore estate is here. Um, so, uh, we, we look at, I I would say my occupancy, we probably underwrite at like a 70% occupancy, but when you're, when you're picturing investors, you want to see what your break-even occupancy is going to be. Mm-hmm. So like right now we sit about 35 to 40% on a break-even occupancy. So there's your profit. It's like, if you can worst case scenario, not worst case scenario, but like conservatively 70% occupancy, your break-even number for all your expenses and debt service is 40%. Your profit is that 30% in the middle. So I love it. I love yeah. it. That's super helpful. And I appreciate you going through that. What role has mindset played uh, for you and, and what role does mindset play in your success? It's huge, man. Um, when you first start out in any type of venture, and this is sort of just going a little bit broader, stepping outside of real estate, it's, it's, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you're capable of. And uh, it's, it's what, what's, what's, What's better than a what's what's very interesting about achieving your goals is sometimes they happen way quicker than than you once you start putting putting the time in and putting putting these deals together stepping back into real estate um, and things start moving you realize how quickly you can sort of achieve some of your goals and that's that's sort of what happened with in the in the beginning where I had like a goal of doing thirty and I thought thirty was I thought 30, like 30 was five, 10 years in the future. And it's like, we're just doing one project right now is 40 at minimum. So it's like mindset, mindset's huge. Um, a, a lot of people who like, will, will hop onto YouTube. I'm, I'm one of these people. It's like hop onto YouTube, join a mentorship, join a group, group, group coaching program or um, some sort of course, they'll skip the mindset videos. And there's a reason why the mindset videos are the very first videos in these courses. It's the reason why we're talking about it right now um, is, is mindset. Mindset's very important. It's, it's, it's what you fall back on when things are not going to go your way because it's going to happen some of the times. And then just understanding that as long as you have like your contingencies in place, um, it, 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 it usually works out. It's, you have to be, you have to be confident in your abilities. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, if you're not confident in your abilities, just make sure that you have someone either in your corner that can help mentor you through, or you just have the resources to say like, I mean, YouTube is such a phenomenal free resource for everyone. I mean, I have a, I have a free YouTube channel that I, I track all of my, all my, all my projects through and just teach what, what I'm talking about right now. So 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you, man. And and I also feel that uh, mindset is is also critical because sometimes we accomplish goals quicker than we ever thought. And we accomplished the wrong goals or we climbed the wrong tree because we weren't aware of, you know, we were trying to heal some wounds that we weren't aware of uh, in an external capacity that doesn't really serve, you know, who we want to become. And so the question is, how are we connecting to what is true to us? And also, uh, how do we bounce back? Like you said, how do we bounce back when we meet adversity? Um, you know, what's our emotional home that we live in uh, when things knock us off course? Because, man, you know, this is a, this is a journey that uh, it, it continuously knocks us off course. And the question is, all right, well, how are you bouncing back? How are you reacting? How are you growing? And how are you setting yourself up for the next battle, the next challenge? How are you evolving as a human being? And I, I just feel like uh, the mindset piece is is critical. And what's, what's also important too, and it's, it's like what you just said about like, sometimes getting knocked off course is like exactly what you needed. Like yes. it might, it might throw you on a, a different course that you weren't even expecting to be on. Um, yeah, that, that's big. It's like, you might not realize it when you're going through maybe one of the worst days of your life professionally, but you might just been thrown towards a direction that is going to be way better for you than what you were just going. And sometimes the the deals that you wanted to work out the most in real estate are usually the, sometimes the deals that you sort of get saved when they they fall through. Like you look back <laughs> at it two, three years and you're like, wow, I, good thing I didn't purchase that property because mm -hmm. this is where it's at now or this is what ended up happening. So yeah, thank you for that you reminder. Per personally, we just had a deal that fell apart uh, literally yesterday. So yeah. appreciate that reminder uh, selfishly myself. But you know, it's a good reminder for all of us. But uh, man, this is a long game. It's a long journey. But I appreciate this conversation. This has been super enlightening, Alex, and I uh, look forward to continuing to continuing the dialogue, but continuing to to support you along your journey and uh, see where you take this thing, man. It's it's very exciting. But I want to transition into the rapid fire section of the podcast. It's called the Rare Air Questionnaire. It's all about being uncommon. I have a few questions uh, for you before we wrap. Uh, first of all, you got a beautiful bookshelf behind you, so I got to ask you about books. Uh, yeah, yeah. What are two of the two or three of the most impactful books that you've read over the past few years? Yeah, there's this one and then there's one right here too. But uh, <laughs> I love it. I already mentioned one of them, uh, The One Thing uh, by Gary Keller and Jay Papsan. Huge. Um, just a, a really, no matter if you're in real estate, whatever you're in, whoever's listening, it's like, it's just a good way to block out your schedule. Um, if families, if, if families literally your number one thing, it, you can literally take those principles and just put them into, hey, like, this is how much time I want to spend with my family, whatever it is. So I'd say one thing. Creature from Jekyll Island is a book I started recommending more. Game changer. Game changer for we just talked about mindset. That will if you're if you're a real estate professional or any type of investor, you you owe it to yourself to understand how money works. And that besides the last couple of chapters get a little wonky, but uh like get a little woo-woo. But the the history of money and the Federal Reserve and the world banking system. It's not a conspiracy book. I picked it up thinking it was a conspiracy book. No, there, there's about 30 pages or sorry, 80 pages of references in that back of that book. Just yeah. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. So Creature from Jekyll Island, um, phenomenal, phenomenal book. Probably one of the best books I've read. And then uh same here. Yeah, yeah. And then uh the last book I'd recommend, which I'd recommend stacking with uh the one thing is the 12 week year. Oh yeah. Is, that's that's another really good book. If you put the principles of the one thing, which sort of bleed into the twelve week year, um, those two books together will completely supercharge your your results. Because like, 
outside of my, like what, what I've realized sometimes what's even more powerful than mindset is if you can commit to sticking to a schedule, like, Hey, what do I need to do today? Um, or what do I need to do this week? Like sometimes like the, you, the, the, the calendar helps with the mindset piece if you're sort of di- like digging in the trenches and stuff. So, yeah. And I almost feel like that might be the pattern from a military background that lends itself su- super well to being an investor, entrepreneur in real estate is you almost have this framework, this structure right. that allows you to then kind of bring your talents to without overwhelming yourself. Right. And it, the 12 week year also sort of plays into what I talked about earlier is like it, you, you realize how, how quickly you can actually achieve your goals. Um, and that book, that book gives you the framework to do that. Yeah. Big shout out to Brian Moran or Moran, uh, former yeah. guest of, uh, elevate podcast as well. But man, I tell you what, uh, the creature from Jekyll Island, uh, G Edward Griffin, that, that book is unbelievable. I could not put that book down. I could not recommend it enough, uh, to the listeners. So definitely go pick that up, but we'll put and links in the show notes. That's where the very, listeners can find it. It's very pertinent to what happened in the last couple of years with all the money that got printed. It's, it even solidified everything that was talked about in that book. It couldn't be more relevant. It couldn't, there's nothing more relevant, honestly, in in this day and age than that read in the history of the Federal Reserve. So um, thank you for bringing that up. I really appreciate that. What's the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis, Alex? I practice the Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod every morning. Um, I wake up at different times throughout the day sometimes. Like I'm, I'm a bit of a night owl, so I'll stay up until like especially now I have the YouTube channel, like probably staying up until like two or three, just working on that if, if I feel motivated. So, but any, any, no matter what time I wake up, like um, doing, doing the miracle morning uh, by Hal Elrod uh, is, is, is one thing that sort of keeps me, keeps me sharp. And I don't, I spend maybe 15, 10, 15 minutes on it every morning. So it's, it's not like I'm spending an hour or something, but yeah. yeah. Well, that's yeah. awesome. What's the biggest way that you elevate others around you? Just understanding that it's, it's very easy to look at, like the way you've lived and the experiences you've had, it's very, it's very easy to judge other people based off of the opinions they might have, say like, I mean, the easiest way to see it is through social media, through the different news channels, especially again, what happened in the last couple of years. It's very easy to judge people that have different, um, different mindsets than your different ways, but you need to understand that those people have lived a certain life and like everyone has lived a certain life and has had their own experiences that has shaped their opinions. So I think, I think that's a really good way to sort of elevate people is understanding there's different ways of looking at things. And when you're coming from the military, it's, it's, it's one way of thinking. So it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's very, very, very important to, to understand other, other views and stuff. I think that that. we can all do better at that, you know, have more perspective that, you know, your little uh, perspective is one, but there's 8 billion people in this planet. Right. And I mean, for people who travel internationally or live internationally or travel internationally, you see it, you see everyone has different values and morals and everything. So yeah, thank you, man. Yeah, that's an awesome reminder. Uh, But Alex, man, I want to acknowledge you, uh, obviously, for for sharing so much wisdom in the short term rental and development space, which is super enlightening and very exciting in terms of the way that we can apply that thinking, whether we want to expand into that capacity as an investor, or whether we want to apply some of that thinking to our investment portfolio, if we're involved in a different asset class. But I also want to acknowledge you for your commitment to your own personal development, your commitment to growing as an individual, your commitment to focusing on one thing and uh, sharing that with so many people, man, this is a lot of fun, Alex. I really appreciate you being on Elevate Podcast. Is there any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd like to share with Elevate Nation today? 
Oh, no, just, I mean, just stick to your goals, write them down, look at them every day. Like I keep referencing the one thing, but literally sit down at night and figure out what the one to three things you have to do the next day. Don't, don't focus on anything until those things are done and then everything will get easier. It's, and it, people try to complicate the, the, that, that type of stuff, but it, it's really that simple and is figure out what you need to do. Your plan's going to change. So look at it every single day and uh, you'll be surprised of how quickly you can get to your goals, man. I love it, man. I love it. And uh, tell the listeners where they can find you, Alex. Yeah. Uh, easiest way is through my website, Sargon Investments, S-A-R-G-O-N-I-N-V-E-S-T-M-E-N-T-S. Um, and uh, my YouTube channels uh, on there. Uh, my if, uh, if people are listening that want to invest with me, they can uh, go through our investor portal that's on our website and uh, schedule. Uh, and then uh, from there, we get their contact info and can schedule a call and they'll talk directly to me about uh, their investing goals. We're pretty flexible with the deals that we're offering. Um, and, uh, right now the big, the big guy is what we're focused on. Um, but the, we, we always have properties in the pipeline. Uh, and then also if, if they want to, if they want to, if people are listening and want to do it themselves, uh, my YouTube channel does a really good job of sort of detailing some of the little nitty gritty type stuff when it comes to short-term rental and just overall real estate, um, real estate information. So, yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, as usual, I'll put links in the show notes, uh, as where the listeners can find you, Alex. Um, but really appreciate you again. And uh, look forward to continuing the dialogue. And uh, we'll talk to you soon, man. Beauty. Thanks, Tyler. Elevate Nation. What a fun conversation with Alex Jarbo. Uh, I don't know about you, but wow, I learned a lot today. And uh, there's a lot to say about the opportunities in short-term rentals. I mean, you think about a lot of people who are trying to get into real estate investing are like, oh my gosh, the barriers of entry are so tall. And of course, that's true in many different asset classes. But you know what? I think Alex is giving us an opportunity and giving many of those folks an opportunity to say, well, what is my excuse now? Uh, because if the barriers of entry are significantly lower, there are significant, significantly more opportunities to create uh, an entrance in the space. You know, why not take that opportunity? Um, so I just think that that was exciting. And, you know, for, for myself, and I know that many of the other listeners are, you know, established real estate investors who are, uh, you know, really growing or um, expanding their portfolio in different asset classes, there's still a lot to be learned from this conversation. So uh, I hope that you enjoyed that half as much as I did. And I want to encourage you to identify what are your top one, two or three takeaways? Was it, you know, the the management approach? Was it the the way that he's evaluating the marketplace? Was it um, the way that he's sourcing deals? Was it the mindset thought process that he shared with us? Um, you know, was it the, the, the constant evolution of, you know, his focus, the evolution of, you know, thinking about, Hey, well, one thing is, uh, is, is a way for me to continue to move forward. What were your takeaways? What were your distinctions? I want to encourage you to jot those down, whether you put it in your notes on your phone, uh, or put it on a notepad, you know, what are your top distinctions? And uh, I also want to encourage you to re-listen to the show. If you need to find those distinctions, go for that. And uh, when you listen twice, you learn twice as much. And so I want to encourage you to do that. I also want to encourage you to have a discussion with someone else about what you learned today and, you know, break things down. Um, talk about what didn't make sense to you, what made mo the most sense to you. How might this help you evolve or expand your own investment thesis or your own investment strategy or your own approach to designing your life? So I want to encourage you to have that discussion. I also want to encourage you to make a commitment to take action and to take massive action, because ultimately 
All of this was for naught if we don't move forward. And of course, action may be a behavior change. It may be a way of thinking change. It may be a way of focusing your time, your attention, your efforts. It may be a way of you know, changing your habits, your behaviors in terms of your morning routine or a book that you want to read. I mean, there's just so much here. So I'm going to encourage you to take that action today and commit to that massive action. Until next time, Elevate Nation, thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.